We'll get started with um, 1 Timothy. We're starting in chapter 4, verse 1. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. So flipping over to 1 Kings chapter 22, and we're reading from verse 1 to 38. For three years there was no war between Aram and Israel, but in the third year Jehoshaphat king of Judah went down to see the king of Israel. The king of Israel had said to his officials, Don't you know that Ramoth-Gilead belongs to us, and yet we are doing nothing to retake it from the king of Aram? So he asked Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to fight against Ramoth-Gilead? Jehoshaphat replied to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. But Jehoshaphat also said to the king of Israel, First seek the counsel of the Lord, So the king of Israel brought together the prophets, about 400 men, and asked them, Shall I go to a war against Ramoth-Gilead, or shall I refrain? Go, they answered, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat asked, Is there not a prophet of the Lord here, whom he can inquire of? The king of Israel answered Jehoshaphat, There is still one man through whom we can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. He is Micaiah, son of Imlah. The king should not say that, Jehoshaphat replied. So the king of Israel called one of his officials and said, Bring Micaiah, son of Imlah, at once. Dressed in their royal robes, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones at the threshing floor by the entrance of the gate of Samaria with all the prophets prophesying before them. Now Zedekiah, son of Kenana, had made iron horns and he declared, This is what the Lord says, With these you will gore the Armenians until they are destroyed. All the other prophets were prophesying the same thing. Attack Ramoth-Gilead and be victorious, they said, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. The messenger who had gone to summon Micaiah said to him, Look, as one man the other prophets are predicting success for the king. Let your word agree with theirs. Speak favourably. But Micaiah said, As surely as the Lord lives, I can tell him only what the Lord tells me. When he arrived, the king asked Micaiah, Shall we go to war against Ramoth-Gilead, or shall I refrain? Attack and be victorious, he answered, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. The king said to him, How many times must I make you swear to me that nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Then Micaiah answered, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, These people have no master. Let each one go home in peace. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Didn't I tell you that he never prophesies anything good about me but only bad? Micaiah continued, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the host of heaven standing around him on his right and on his left. 
And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab into attacking Ramoth-Gilead and going to his death there? One suggested this and another that. Finally, a spirit came forward, stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. By what means, the Lord asked. I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouths of all the prophets, he said. You will succeed in enticing him, said the Lord. Go and do it. So now the Lord had put a lying spirit in the mouths of all these prophets of yours. The Lord has decreed disaster for you. Then Zedekiah, son of Kenyana, went up and slapped Micaiah in the face. Which way did the spirit from the Lord go when he went from me to speak to you, he asked. Micaiah replied, you will find out on the day you go to hide in an inner room. The king of Israel then ordered, take Micaiah and send him back to Amon, the ruler of the city, and to Joash the king's son and say, this is what the king says, put this fellow in prison and give him nothing but bread and water until I return safely. Micaiah declared, if you ever return safely, the Lord has not spoken through me. Then he added, mark my words, all you people. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went up to Ramoth-Gilead. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will enter the battle in disguise, but you wear your royal robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now the king of Aram had ordered his 32 chariot commanders, do not fight with anyone, small or great, except the king of Israel. When the chariot commanders saw Jehoshaphat, they thought, surely this is the king of Israel. So they turned to attack him. But when Jehoshaphat cried out, the chariot commanders saw that he was not the king of Israel and stopped pursuing him. But someone drew his bow at random and hit the king of Israel between the sections of his armour. The king told his chariot driver, wheel around and get me out of the fighting. I've been wounded. All day long the battle raged and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Armenians. The blood from his wound ran onto the floor of the chariot and that evening he died. As the sun was setting, a cry spread through the army. Every man to his town, everyone to his land. So the king died and was brought to Samaria and they buried him there. They washed the chariot at the pool in Samaria where the prostitutes bathed and the dogs licked up the blood as the word of the Lord had declared. What's true for you is true for you and what's true for me is true for me. When I was at uni probably about oh, 20 years ago or more, that pretty much summed up the mood for how people related to each other. You could have different religions, different ideas, but everyone could play a game where you just smiled and, and pretended one plus one could equal three. I remember back then thinking how silly the game was. You know, like Muslims could believe that Jesus was just a prophet and that was somehow true for them. And Christians could believe that Jesus was more than a prophet. And that was true for them too. One plus one equaled three with a smile. Well, fast forward to today and the, the issues have changed a bit. 
and it seems like the mood has changed a bit too and 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 it feels like people live by a new slogan now it feels like people live by this slogan what's true for you is true for you as long as it doesn't really matter to me what's true for me is true for me but if it really matters to me well guess what then it's true for you too one plus one equals three but there's no smile that goes with it anymore and it's not so much that we've returned these days to valuing truth it's more that we've amped up our valuing of our own experience of what we think is true we've amped it up so much that we're now not happy for other people to refuse to acknowledge our truth and in all this truth is still the casualty and we see this in our, our broken world don't we our world is is full of fake news and it's heartbreaking it's sickening you can genuinely these days go looking for the truth and it can be incredibly hard to find because you'll drown in the volume that's out there both the volume because of the amount of content that you've got to wade through and also the volume because of the loudness with which it's presented to you and what you keep finding is that so many people are quite happy to play loose with the truth and christians are not a special category of people who are immune to this we should be people who love the truth who value the truth who speak the truth but that doesn't come naturally to us and it doesn't mean that we have a, a special ability to cut through fake news and rubbish and arrive at the truth part of loving the truth these days is to acknowledge when some things are not clear when things are complex or have become clouded but when we push something as truth that really is just our opinion even if it's based on our research that's not loving the truth that's loving our own point of view and most of us i reckon we we think we love the truth we we think we're drawn to the truth but the bible says to us that the truth is we're not jesus says in john 3:20 everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed not one of us naturally loves the truth not when the when the truth exposes us anyway now if that's true which it is it says to us that what matters is not my experience of the truth my perception of the truth what matters is the truth itself and it says to us where the truth highlights something undesirable about me i'm not going to be drawn to it i'm going to want to run away from it today as we've heard we end one kings and as we've just heard read for us we end with a king who hates the truth he hears the truth he recognizes the truth but he hates it and so in the end he doesn't land on the side of the truth if you remember back to when we started this season of the crown as we're calling it in one kings we started with a king who was invited to ask god for anything and when he was invited to ask that in one kings 3 verse 9 this is what he said 
Give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. And do you remember under King Solomon, when he listened to God, just how amazing things were in Israel. But we end this season with King Ahab, whose heart is not discerning. Despite God sending him Elijah, despite God intervening on behalf of Israel and saving them from their enemies, King Ahab doesn't want to hear the word of the Lord. He hates the truth. He runs away from the truth. And because of that, he messes things up at every level. On an international scale in chapter 20, he lets the awful king of Aram or or Syria live, even though he terrorizes God's people. On a very local scale in chapter 21, he allows a man and his kids to be killed because they wouldn't sell their family farm to him so that he could have his veggie patch just a little bit closer to his house. And when King Ahab is forced to hear the word of the Lord, when he can't run, he's not happy about it. On one of those occasions, he he calls Elijah, you troubler of Israel. On another, he calls him my enemy. Ahab is the kind of man who hates the word of the Lord, and he's very comfortable to shoot the messenger. But the amazing thing about King Ahab is that even though he's not interested in the truth, he's actually quite insightful about the truth. He knows the word of the Lord when he hears it. And this is the first thing we see today in this final episode of season three. We see that the real word of the Lord is often unsettling. The real word of the Lord is confronting, disturbing alarming back in chapter 20 aram or or syria to the north of israel humiliated ahab and despite ahab having sold himself to do evil in god's eyes god still delivers him and his people spectacularly and he does it not once he, he does it twice and ahab in chapter 20 has the chance to kill ben hadad this awful king of syria and bring him to justice But stupidly and selfishly, he makes a treaty with him. Supposedly, Ben-Hadad is going to give back all of Israel's cities to them. But guess what? He doesn't. He doesn't give back Ramoth-Gilead, which would have earned a fair bit of revenue being on an international toll route. Now, you'd think since God had dealt with Ben-Hadad not once, but twice, that Ahab would naturally go to God for help. But no. Maybe because he's too proud, or maybe he assumes that God's not gracious enough to listen to him. But for whatever reason, he doesn't seek God. He gets on with his own plan. And Ahab's plan is to get the king of Judah to join him. For about 50 years, um, the north that you can see there and the south, they've been fighting each other. But for some reason, Jehoshaphat, a good king in Judah in the south, he becomes friends with Ahab this terrible king in the north. And Jehoshaphat agrees to fight alongside Ahab and help him reclaim Ramoth-Gilead. But Jehoshaphat, you know, while being a bit naive to be working alongside Ahab, he really is a good guy. So he says to Ahab in verse 5, first seek the counsel of the Lord. Now Ahab, he doesn't need the counsel of the Lord. He already has his plan and he's very happy with it. 
But he humors his southern religious friend because Ahab's plan involves getting this guy on side. And so even though he's not interested in changing his plan at all, but he goes through the motions. And boy, does he go through the motions. Ahab trucks in 400 prophets. And they all say in verse 6, Go, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. But it's interesting if you look closely at what they don't say here. For example, they don't say God's name here. Yahweh. You know, this is what's translated by the word the Lord in capitals in in your Bibles. They literally just say, go for the Lord will give into the king's hand. Now, like most people who claim to be able to read your fortunes, it's a bit vague, right? They don't say which king will be given to who, and they don't say which God will do the giving. And Jehoshaphat, he might be a, a bit naive to be working with Ahab, but he's sensible enough to know a sham when he sees one. And so he, he fairly diplomatically says in verse 7, is there no longer a prophet of the Lord, of, of Yahweh here, whom we can inquire of? Ahab, he's brought out all these cronies. Maybe they're prophets of Baal. Maybe they're prophets from the golden calves at Bethel. Whatever the case, Jehoshaphat can tell that they're not the real deal. It doesn't matter that there's 400 of them putting on this amazing show there. For all the fuss, they can't compare to even just one person who will speak the real word of the Lord. The real word of the Lord is something quite different, quite striking, quite powerful. Jehoshaphat knows this. But the surprising thing is that Ahab seems to know it too. Look at what Ahab says in verse 8. He says, there's still one prophet through whom we can inquire of the Lord, Yahweh. But I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. He is Micaiah, son of Imla. Ahab knows from personal experience that the real word of the Lord is often unsettling. And so Ahab doesn't like the real word of the Lord because he finds the truth uncomfortable, inconvenient, confronting, convicting. Ahab preferred to hear what he wanted to hear. He preferred the performance that was going on in front of him. And it must have been quite a performance. The kings have got their royal clothes on, we read, and they've had their thrones carried out to the gate. And so down below them are 400 prophets carrying on. One of them was so confident that somehow he'd had time to whip up some iron horns. And there he was doing a bit of theatre sports in front of them with the horns snorting and kind of stamping the ground like a bull. And when these performers overhear that Jehoshaphat wants to inquire of the Lord, of Yahweh, suddenly they, they tweak what they're saying slightly in verse 12. It's like they're saying, oh, if you want to hear from Yahweh, then sure. That's what we're saying. The Lord Yahweh will give it into the king's hand. Now, this is the fake word of the Lord, which is not unsettling. This is the tail wagging the dog. This is the word tweaked, tinkered with, to fit with whatever human power is supreme at the time. This is human religion. 
And it's how many religions and many churches have operated down through the centuries. It's how many churches and religions are still operating today. The tail wags the dog. The church chases the approval of people. The word of the Lord is tweaked to fit what they want to hear. It's so easy, sadly, to find religion and churches like this today. It's often the case that the people interviewed on the ABC, the Religion and Ethics Report, or Soul Search, or God Forbid, or The Project, it's like they only get a hearing because they hold all the right cultural cards and they signal all the right modern virtues. They say what people want to hear. And this is not just a left-wing issue. There are plenty of right-wing versions as well of religion selling out to seek legitimacy from right-wing powers. There's a tendency right across history for Christians to hitch our wagons to unsavory people. We have a a strong desire to find someone who will stand up for the truth and stand against the world for us on our behalf. But when we try to find that person in political power, what we do is drag the name of Jesus down. And whether it's the left or to the right, we've got no business selling out the word of the Lord to appeal to popular opinion. Whether that's appealing to presidents or prime ministers or media or social media or on a much smaller scale, tweaking things to appeal to the person I'm sitting next to at work or at home at the dinner table. The real word of the Lord is so often unsettling and we shouldn't try to change that. But that's what these prophets are doing. But the surprising thing is that Ahab, he knows the real word of the Lord when he hears it. He just doesn't want to hear it because he finds the truth unsettling. But surely it's better to be told the truth than not to be told the truth, right? Surely we all want to hear the truth, don't we? But actually, in so many ways, we're like this. People are like this. All people are like this. We don't want to hear the truth. Who wants to hear that the way that they're eating is going to lead to health problems in the future? Or who wants to hear that the way that they're drinking is going to lead to alcoholism? Who wants to hear that the way that they treat their husband or wife is is slowly killing the relationship? Or the way their parenting hurts their children? Or the way they work is out of balance? Or who wants to hear that the the things that they hold dearest, that they're living for, won't deliver the happiness they're chasing? Now, in part, it's fair enough that we don't want to hear these things from each other because we're all flawed. And there's plenty of experts who line up and give you their two cents in life and they've got no idea what they're talking about. But the truth is we don't want to hear God's point of view either. We can value his opinion as just someone else's two cents worth. Often, we don't want to hear the word of the Lord either because we too find it unsettling. The other week, we saw in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 that in the past God spoke through the prophets at many times and in various ways, like we see him speak to Ahab through Micaiah today. And then we saw in the next verse 
But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Do you see that? The word of the Lord still speaks to us today. God still speaks to us by Jesus, the word of God. Jesus, who says to us, the kingdom of God has drawn near, so turn back to him and trust him. All scripture, the whole Bible culminates in this particular final word from God. That Jesus is Lord of all, whether we like that or not. And he is saviour only of those who turn back to him and trust him. That's an unsettling word for all of us. Do we realise that? It's a great comfort in the end, but absolutely it's unsettling. It's unsettling because it turns our world, your world, my world, upside down. It dumps you out of the throne of your life and it seats Jesus where he belongs as your Lord and Savior who calls all the shots in your life or if we refuse to turn to him, refuse to trust him, refuse to surrender the throne, then this word says to us, we will meet Jesus as our judge. Jesus puts it like this in Mark 8:34. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life gives up the throne for me and for the gospel will save it. That's unsettling, don't you think? And if we're not being unsettled by the word of the Lord, if our Bibles, as they point us to Jesus, if they're not unsettling us, if as we hear the the Bible here on a Sunday, and if as we help each other understand the Bible in our community groups, or as we read it on our own, If we're not being profoundly unsettled, we're not hearing the word of the Lord. We're not hearing God tell us things like our mediocrity in marriage is not okay. It matters to him. If we're not hearing God telling us that our withholding our energy and creativity and our time with our kids to kindly, gently point them to Jesus as Lord of all, If we're not hearing God tell us that he doesn't affirm our expression of gender or affirm our expression of sexuality, he conforms us all, whoever we are, to Jesus' likeness. If we're not hearing God tell us that our relegating his kingdom to second place behind kitchen renovations or kids' sport or our weekends away, or our grandkids, if we're not hearing God say these kind of unsettling things and hearing them often, then we're not hearing the word of the Lord. When I was at Bible college in Sydney, I went to a church building, a church that was right in the CBD, a beautiful old building. And there was a guy that I met there uh, called Frank. He was my age. I don't know why he was called Frank being my age but that was his name he lived right there in the middle of the city had a fairly important job and he found his job hugely stressful 
And so he'd come and he'd often say he just wanted church to be a place of solitude and reflection, kind of like meditation, he'd say. He didn't want to be unsettled. He didn't want to hear the often uncomfortable, inconvenient, confronting word of the Lord. What about you? What do you want from a church service? Do you want to be uplifted, affirmed, refreshed? Or do you expect to be unsettled? Sometimes when we've been in books like One Kings for a while, I I start to feel a bit uneasy. I start to think, oh, is, is it too heavy going? We're already dealing with church planting as a community. We're dealing with another COVID wave winter colds and the coldness of of this building on top of the struggles and the regular sadnesses of life perhaps we just need a message where we hear that god loves us just the way we are he's there cheering us on in the sidelines of our lives perhaps what we need is a choir of 400 voices lifting us up singing whatever your dream is go and be victorious The real word of the Lord is so much more precious and valuable than anything that we make up. God's truth, it's uncomfortable. But it's the only true way to be uplifted. Because God loves us enough to point out the truth that we need him, desperately need him. And that when we turn to him, he will never turn away from us, no matter what. No one else is like that. No one. Well, as we come back to Ahab, what we see next is that the real word of the Lord is self-evident. You just know when you've heard the real word of the Lord, as opposed to hearing the fake word of the Lord. Ahab, he sends for a, a real prophet because Jehoshaphat insists, a man named Micaiah. And it seems that Ahab can summon this guy pretty quickly, probably because he has him in prison already, actually. <laughs> And the messenger who summons the prophet, he just gives him a friendly bit of advice. Just tell Ahab what he wants to hear. But Micaiah says he can only speak the real word of the Lord. So then it's a bit of a shock to us when he gets there to Ahab. And at first it sounds like he's sold out, doesn't it? He says, attack, be victorious, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. But we find out that there's more to the picture because it seems like he's, he's played this trick quite a few times. Ahab says to him, verse 16, How many times must I make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? This is pretty funny. The irony is huge. Ahab doesn't want to hear the truth from God, least of all. And this guy makes him swear to tell him the truth from God. Ahab is a person who has no trouble recognizing the word of the Lord. It's self-evident. He knows when he's hearing the real deal. Now, this isn't Micaiah here going weak at the knees because he's scared of Ahab. This is more like Micaiah answering a fool according to his folly. This fake answer is all part of the real word of the Lord. This is Micaiah saying, there's no point bringing you the word of the Lord, Ahab. Your plans are already made and your heart won't be moved by the truth anyway. But Ahab, he says he wants to hear it. And so Micaiah unleashes it. He says in verse 17, 
I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, the people have no master. Let each one go home in peace. This is the real word of the Lord. And it's unsettling. At least it should be for Ahab. And Ahab, he he understands the message. He leans over to Jehoshaphat and he says, didn't I tell you he never prophesies anything good about me, but only bad. Ahab gets that the Lord is saying that he's like a bad shepherd of God's people and he's about to be a dead shepherd. And Ahab hears that the Lord thinks his people will be better off without him. They'll go home having lost the war, lost their king. But as a result, they'll go home in peace. Shalom. This is hugely unsettling. But the problem with Ahab is he's unsettled by the word of the Lord, but he's never unsettled enough. He's never unsettled enough to step down from the throne of his life and acknowledge who really sits on the throne, God. And now that Micaiah's gotten started, he has even more to say from God. Now remember, Ahab, he just wants a yes-no answer here. But Micaiah tells Ahab that his plan to attack Ramoth Gilead is actually God's plan to bring disaster on Ahab. Micaiah tells Ahab that the person who really sits on the throne is God. The person who really has his court before him is God. And he sends a lying spirit to all Ahab's cronies performing there in the dirt in front of Ahab's tiny little throne. Now, it's a bit weird that God would allow a lie to be sent out. It doesn't feel right at all. God, who only speaks the truth, who loves truth. But don't miss the big picture here. This is actually God shining out the truth through all this. God is, is the one and only true king of all, he's saying. God is the one who is really savior of those who turn to him. But Ahab... He won't acknowledge God as king. He won't look to God to save. And so God is telling Ahab he's going to judge him because Ahab would prefer to hear and believe a lie even when he knows it's a lie. And so armed with this knowledge, what does Ahab do? Ahab thinks he can escape God. And this brings us to our our last point. The real word of the Lord is inescapable. Ahab, he comes up with this plan to escape the word of the Lord. First, he sends Micaiah back to prison with even harsher conditions until he returns. He seems to think that if he can control the messenger, he can can control the message, still like so many people in our world today. Second, he decides he's going to go into battle disguised. He'll dress like an ordinary soldier and he seems to think he can hide from God that way. And naively, Jehoshaphat goes along with this plan. I don't know what's wrong with this guy. He's not the smartest tool in the shed. And at first Ahab's plan, it it actually looks to be a masterstroke, right? At least for Ahab anyway. Because Ben Ben Hadad, either fueled by revenge or maybe this is just good tactics, but all he cares about is taking down Ahab. And so a disguise was, a, was a, a brilliant idea for Ahab. But it almost proves to be disaster for Jehoshaphat, who gets mistaken for him. But in the end, 
as clever as Ahab is, he cannot escape the word of the Lord. Because in verse 34, some unknown person draws their bow, shoots an arrow at random into the fray, which just happens to hit Ahab and just happens to find that tiny gap in his armor, and he just happens to get stuck in the thick of the battle for the rest of the day and unable to get help. Ahab thought he'd dodged the word of the Lord, the Lord who holds all things in his hand, who doesn't even let a sparrow fall to the ground outside of his control, who gives every person, every breath, every beat of their heart, Ahab thought he could judge the Lord who will bring all of us before his throne and who will weigh the fate of all of us according to whether we listened to his word to us or not. But Ahab's twisted view of himself and his twisted view of God meant that although he could recognize the word of the Lord, he wouldn't listen. And so he dies And his blood is washed out in the pool where the prostitutes bathe as the dogs lick it up. And all Israel goes home as losers, but happy. Because with Ahab's death, they're better off. They now have peace. And that's more or less where the book of 1 Kings ends. The real word of the Lord is inescapable. The real word of the Lord is self-evident. The real word of the Lord is unsettling. And we've actually seen these things right across this book, haven't we, in 1, 1 Kings. And we see these things still today, now, in our time. And so as season three finishes, and hopefully eventually we'll get to season four and look at two kings, but as season three finishes today, I want to finish by asking us, Are we giving proper attention to the word of the Lord? Jesus is Lord and Savior. Have we turned to him fully? Are we trusting in him only? Is he sitting on the the thrones of our lives alone? Or are we there trying to squeeze up next to him, still calling the shots? The atheist turned Christian, C.S. Lewis, he wrote, Of course, I quite agree that the Christian religion is, in the long run, a thing of unspeakable comfort. But it does not begin in comfort. It begins in the dismay I have been describing. And it is of no use at all to try to go on to that comfort without first going through that dismay. In religion... As in war and everything else, comfort is one thing you cannot get looking for it. If you look for the truth, you may find comfort in the end. If you look for comfort, you will not get either comfort or truth, only soft soap and wishful thinking to begin with, and in the end, despair. Jesus is Lord, not us. That's the truth. Jesus is saviour, no one, and nothing else is. That's the truth. This is the word of the Lord to you, to me, to every single person. Others might not want to hear it, 
but to weep. It's unsettling. It's not comfortable. It has a myriad of implications in our lives on a day-to-day basis, on a big-picture basis, and it always will, but it's the truth. And it's the only way to true comfort, true life, true joy, and true meaning. So are we giving it proper attention? Are we giving proper attention in our lives to the Word of the Lord? Let me pray. Father, we ask that you would open our minds and our hearts, our lives, to hear your word to us, that Jesus is our Lord and Saviour. He sits on the throne in our lives. Lord, if we've never turned to him, help us to see your word to us is that unless we turn to him, we face your anger, your judgment for trying to push you off your throne and put ourselves there. But Lord, for those of us who've heard this word, who've turned to you, who trust in you, help us to keep hearing it, for our entire lives to be shaped by it. Lord, help us to be unsettled in the ways that we try to ignore you, turn away from you, despise you. Lord, never let that be the case in our lives. May we be those who see Jesus in all his glory. Love him for his glory and live for his glory. We pray this in his name. Amen.